Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Saints, you could still get him in about the 10th to 12th round. 
and he could have won you a ton of money last year. Yeah, one of my one of the th- reasons I did have a successful year is I had a nice piece of both Kamara and Hunt. Uh, a lot of it was after the NFL draft, and um, but boy, I could have done even better if I had more earlier. Uh, and it, last year was my first year looking at tape, and I feel like you know I did. I de- you know it's easy to say. And a lot of people want to say, well, I don't know how to study tape. And maybe some people don't. But, I, you know, my first year doing it, I, I definitely saw Kamara on tape. And I said, wow, this guy, he can really catch. He's got, you know, all the things we really ended up seeing in the pros were pretty evident on Kamara's tape, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about a guy that won with contact balance, won with big plays. Uh, was a fantastic receiver out of the backfield, and then he goes to the ideal landing spot for him. I mean, the Saints, the way they use running backs, could not have been any better for him. He kind of was allowed to not take a workhorse role and use kind of sparingly in situations that were best for him, and they basically created him, uh, created big plays for him by getting him in space on linebackers, and he did the rest, man, and he was fantastic. But a lot of what you saw in the NFL was certainly on his Tennessee tape for sure. Yeah, and you you know we 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 went through all these different things you do. You, you know, you're a busy guy and you're you're really good at DFS, but the 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 one podcast that really seems to be the most uh important now and for our study is the Draft Daily Pod. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Draft Daily Pod? Yeah, absolutely. So what I try to do is one uh, one podcast every day, seven days a week. Some some days you get two or three, and then other days you won't get one. But the goal is seven by the end of the week. Each podcast is about a 15 to 20-minute breakdown on one player. We kind of go do his ins and outs. We do his strengths, his weaknesses, his player comp, his ideal landing spot. And we really try to paint a very vivid picture of what you get if you if your team takes this prospect or if you're trying to play dynasty football or if you're trying to play best ball kind of. What what kind of player are you looking at? There are a lot of podcasts that do you know hour long segments, and sometimes you don't get the the detail you're looking for out of guys. And so the goal of this is basically to to get that detail. Now it's got offensive players and defensive players. We we've gone deeper on offensive players so far, but we already have over 60 player profiles up there. And by the draft, we'll have over 80, close to 90, possibly even 100, depending on how well things go. And you know, each each podcast is with a different guest as well. So you're not just getting my opinions on players. You're getting a different person's opinion on uh, players each time. And, you know, we've had some fantastic guests on, the, guests on the podcast from Matt Harmon to Evan Silva to to Josh Norris to, I mean, basically you name him if he's been in the industry. Like, he, he's he's come on the podcast at this point and really broken out of uh, prospect. And, you know, you it really allows you to learn a ton of information on prospects and very easy um, easy to consume uh, format. Yeah, easy to easy nibbles. Uh, so basically, if someone doesn't suck, they've been on your podcast so far. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> there, there. I mean, there if someone sucks, that I have they, to reach it, out to his guest. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, you know, and the other thing that Elliot does that I'm a real big fan of, and and if you if you're not a tape watcher and you don't aspire to be at one, fine. Um, but I've always felt like when I watch football, I can spot talent. I mean, going back to when I was a kid, which is a really long time ago now, um, I always I always think about how one time I was watching a preseason game and Andre Johnson caught a screen and just ran for like 20 yards. And, I mean, I, I drafted him in every league I could. It was just – I mean, it, he just jumped off the screen at me. And sometimes – and that's how Kamara was last year. Um, but what I've been doing this year is when I, when I watch some tape, Elliot does this really amazing thing as well on his Twitter feed. And if you go to his Twitter feed and you click on his likes, you can see that he does these threads on a lot of the key prospects as well. And something I like to do is I like to compare what I've seen and my own eyesight to what Elliot has seen and it's it's pretty amazing to me. I mean, because I've made notes to you and talked to you about it on on instant message. How it, it reinforce it reinforces a lot of the things that I saw, which gives me even more confidence to watch more tape. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I do, too, is when I watch guys, I want to discuss it with a few other people, see if they're seeing what I'm seeing. Sometimes when people have different prospect ratings, it's not necessarily because they're seeing something different, but because they value something different. And we'll get into that with some of these running backs here as people's uh, rankings are very different on people. But I I love those Twitter threads. I haven't been able to do as much of them recently because, like you mentioned, I've been busy doing a lot of different things. But there's at least 35, 40 guys up there with Twitter threads, and they're there each one has a gif and it's an explanation of the play and an explanation of the different traits that these guys are showing and you know I, I think if you're trying to get into film and you want to see if what you're seeing makes sense and comparative to someone else i think what you're talking about is fantastic to bounce your ideas off people what watch a guy and then read about him as opposed to the opposite because if you go in with a predetermined mindset of what a guy is you're going to start to see things to basically prove yourself right or the other person right as opposed to going into something with a blank slate and being able to really see what you see and it's completely raw and then you can start reading and comparing it to other people I, I think that's a really good way to go about it yeah one of my core philosophies in in life and and it certainly is a big part of always been a big part of my fantasy football process is trust what you see um but also be willing to question it and it's a it's a it's a fine balance. And you know, I know that there's you know, I know one expert in particular who I talk to from time to time is just like, Well, I don't trust what I see. I go by the numbers and, and draft position and, and look, I respect whatever process works for you is great. But, you know, to me, I I you know, if you if you can spot something and and you have the ability to spot it, and then you, the numbers also back it up, that's another way to be successful. Not all of us have the same process. Yeah, you have to understand that everyone's process is different, and trying to understand different people's processes has really helped me over the years. And I mean, I want to take data. I want to take uh, draft position, especially when we're talking about fantasy football, where these guys go is, is, and how how high they go in the draft is huge and from a volume and early opportunity standpoint. But you want to take a look at metrics. You want to take a look at film. You want to take a look at, you know, production. You want to take a look at their how they test as an athlete in the combine and really start to understand what you value in a player most and, and how these different things can lead you to the players that you that you want to target. Because you can't just take all film. You can't just take all production. You can't just take all combine. You need to use everything because it's all a piece of a puzzle. Yep. And then, uh, obviously, after the draft, the landing spot is huge. Last year, both Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara finished the season with top 10 win rates, while Deshaun Watson was providing a huge lift to MFL 10 rosters before his injury. But at the same time, all three of the top wide receivers failed to bring back reasonable returns. What is your overall strategy with drafting rookies and MFL 10s? So with wide receivers, I basically won't. Statistically speaking, wide receivers typically take uh, two to three years to really develop into that that big-time fantasy threat and if you look at the ADP of these guys, they're they're almost always overdrafted. Now we have the 2014 class, which is kind of the outlier with Odell Beckham, with Allen Robinson, with Mike Evans, with Sammy Watkins, where that class just blew up from the jump, and we've been chasing it ever since. And to me, I'm going to let these guys go, especially this wide receiver class isn't as good as last year's. It's it's got a lot of number two options, a lot of guys that can be very successful, but aren't really going to be great best ball guys. Um, and there's something I kind of look to avoid. With rookie quarterbacks, it typically takes about a year. Now, the exception to the rule is guys that can scramble because guys that can move and can create those running plays, that's how they have high floors and high ceilings. And that, that's something I really want to see if I can get take advantage of late. Now, it's risky this year with a Lamar Jackson because you don't know if he's ever going to see the field. But if he gets into a situation where he could play right away, he could absolutely skyrocket the and really crush his ADP. Now, running back is rookies are – I don't even care. You know what I'm saying? I don't care that they're rookies. I'm treating them as if they're they're NFL players. They're going to get high volume. They're going to get high usage. They're going to get a lot of opportunities. Uh, running back and linebacker are probably the two easiest positions to transition to in the NFL. So these guys come in. They're often – the guys that are drafted high, you understand the volume they're going to get, and they're going to get fantastic opportunity. 
and they're often very, very talented players. So running backs as rookies are the guys that I look to attack, um, attack in terms of drafting for best ball. Yeah, I agree 140%. Um, and then, of course, it's comparing what you see and what you like versus their average draft position, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, if you look at Kamara and Hunt, those guys, you know, they were in the 10th to 12th round, both before and after the draft. I mean, Hunt went up a little bit. Kamara went down a little bit once the draft spot was announced. Um, And Kamara only went down because Adrian Peterson and Ingram were there, and people just didn't think that he would be able to find the role that he did. Uh, Hunt went up a little bit. But the ADP now versus after the NFL draft, does that change how you kind of, I mean, strategy-wise with running backs, does your strategy change with best ball NFL 10s before the draft versus after? Yeah. So, I mean, when you're doing it before, you're trying to do talent and upside, right? Because you don't understand landing spot. Now, a guy like Saquon Barkley, it probably doesn't matter where he's going to go because he's going to go in the top 10. And whoever takes a top 10 pick on a running back is going to kind of load up on him and, and give him incredible volume. Now, Darius Geis is probably in the same range in terms of he's probably locked into that first round. And anyone that takes a first round running back, again, it's going to lock him into volume. But guys like Sony Michelle, like Nick Chubb, like Rashad Penny, like Royce Freeman, we might think these guys go in the second round, but they could easily fall. Some guys go to the third round. Some guys go to the fourth round. I mean, four guys were taken in the first two rounds last year. And that running back class last year was everybody, every bit as good as this year's class. So if you're going to do it before the draft, you really want to go kind of on talent and where, and how high you got, you think these guys can go. And then if you want to fall back on something for me, PPR for running backs, these guys that catch passes, we've just seen their floors be so good year to year. And their, their, their ceilings are also fantastic. So if I'm taking guys late, I, w- I want them to have a high pass-catching ceiling because I'm assuming that the team that drafts them plan to use them in that role. And I think that role is a more valuable role than the kind of two-down workhorse back where we're not even sure who's going to have those roles. Yeah, I-, I agree a lot with that. You know, my one caveat I'll say is, you know, you can love a player – but you might not end up with a lot of them because of his ADP. I mean, Saquon Barkley, as much as we like him and as much as we think that he is going to do well and get opportunity before the draft, he's going right around one eight, one nine right now. Uh, last year, Leonard Fournette, same kind of thing, late second round, very early third round. And, you know, he ended up on 9% of winning best ball teams, had a pretty good year. But he was drafted literally right next to Todd Gurley, who was the biggest league winner we've ever seen in MFL 10s. So as much as I like Barkley, it's, uh, it's, you know, I'm trying to – my strategy right now is to be slightly underweight on him and wait and just make sure because, I, you know – as much as I like the player, I mean, he really is being drafted right near the top of his outcomes, isn't he? Um, most likely towards the top of his outcomes. But at the end of the day, like I mentioned before, whoever takes him, if, I'm assuming they're, he's going top 10, so he's going to get that phenomenal workload. And, you know, when we talk about running backs in general, we're always looking for volume. And if I get 20 20- 20 to 25 touches of Saquon Barkley. That's fantastic. And you mentioned comparing him to Leonard Fournette. And I think the big difference with him and Fournette is that he's going to be very viable in the pass catching game as well. And I think he's going to step in and be one of the best PPR running backs, if not the best PPR running back in the league after Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. He's right. He's right in that same category with them. And, you know, it's tough though. Cause again, you, when you draft someone before the, the draft, you're assuming rational coaching, right? When that these guys are going to go to a team or coaches, which doesn't always work out. Exactly. (laughs) So you are taking that risk. I I do agree with you that it's towards the ceiling of what he can do, but I don't think it's nearly out of the realm of possibility that that he hits that ceiling. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, again, I, 
you know, I certainly don't have a problem with someone taking him. You look at Zeke Elliott, I felt the same way about Zeke Elliott two years ago, and he ended up being a top three uh, player. So, um, you know, if, if it, but I, again, I can, I can change, I don't need to load up now, I guess is my point, when I don't know where his landing spot's going to be. Yeah, because there is a possibility he gets drafted by the Browns, right, at fourth overall. That's the line we continue to hear. And that would probably be his worst worst possible fantasy outcome for one year because they just signed Carlos Hyde. They just gave him $5 million a year, and they have Duke Johnson. So that would be a crowded backfield. Now I assume he would still lead the way. But that's that's a place that I would like to avoid to see him go if I'm taking him in best balls. Anywhere else is probably fine. If he goes to the Colts, he'll have a workhorse load. If he goes to the Bucks, he'll he'll have all the carries he can handle. Same with the Giants. So the, the Browns, if I'm taking him in best ball, are a team that I absolutely want to see him avoid going to. Yep. Positionally, how do you see this draft class? You've already said that this isn't the best wide receiver class. Um, and you've also laid out kind of a basic strategy for MFL 10s uh, of not really looking for uh, quarterbacks or tight ends either. Uh, but just take us through real quickly and compare each draft class uh, the, you know, each position historically, how good are the positions this year? Uh, quarterback is incredibly good. There's, it's very, it's not just top heavy. Like last year's had three guys that could contribute right away. This year, there's probably about four to five guys that could contribute right away, with a couple more that could really develop into uh, really good players. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, I think that Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson could be really good in year one. Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold will probably take a little bit of time, though. Josh Rosen could contribute to an NFL team year one, no doubt about it. Start, start, be successful. But I don't know if he's going to be a superstar fantasy guy for a while. And those are the kind of guys, again, that I'm avoiding in the NFL. The, the upside just is rarely there for rookie quarterbacks. In terms of running backs, I think Saquon Barkley is a generational talent. Now that phrase gets thrown around too much, but I wasn't calling Leonard Fournette a generational talent. I wasn't. I think he's better than Zeke, and I think he's better than Gurley in terms of prospects the last few years. So I really think he is an incredibly special player. The running back class is very deep. Now I think there are guys like Geis who's who can be fantastic. I think one of the issues that this running back class has is it's better. They're better runners than receivers. And in today's NFL, where you're passing 64% of the time, that receiving aspect is really important. Last year's uh, top six players drafted, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, and Leonard Fournette. Five of them were fantastic catching the football. One of them was not. Now, Fournette went fourth overall, but I think we may be surprised that some of these guys fall a little bit lower than we were expecting. I think the running back class is very deep, though. There's going to be a lot of guys that go in the three to five range that can really contribute. And it's going to depend on what team they go to yep. from a wide receiver and class. Go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. From a wide receiver class standpoint, I think you're basically looking at a lot of wide receiver twos. Now that's not, that sounds like an insult, but I don't, again, I don't necessarily think it is. I just think that it means that they're not these top end guys, especially year one. I mean, everyone's year one guy or number one guy of late is DJ Moore. He's got a lot of Jarvis Landry, Golden Tate to his game, where it's a lot of yards after catch. Most of his production at Maryland was at the line of scrimmage. Guys like Calvin Ridley, there's a lot of questions. Can he win contested catch situations? He's probably more of a high-end wide receiver, too. Cortland Sutton can develop, but he's going to have a transition period in the NFL. I think there's a lot of really talented guys in this class, and there are going to be some guys that have some big games their rookie year, obviously, but I don't think it's a class that I'm looking to target in terms of uh, best ball. Best you, ball. you asked how, how does it stack up? I would say it's it's a very average class. The tight end position last year's class was phenomenal. This year's class doesn't have that that top end. I think they're more late first, um, early second round guys. Last year they had Evan Ingram, O.J. Howard, and uh, David Njoku, who were all fantastic prospects. I don't think Goddard, Gasecki, Mark Andrews are quite in that that realm, but I do think there's some guys that are probably going to make some plays. I wouldn't look to target any of them in best ball. Now, maybe a Gasecki or Goddard or Andrews goes to the Saints, and all of a sudden he becomes an incredibly uh, incredible um, ADP guy for what you get him at now. But that's the kind of thing that I'm letting someone else take the risk on. Yeah, I agree. And I really had predicted that the Saints were going to go after a tight end. They did go after Jimmy Graham. 
Um, the thing that kind of bummed me out was that Brait resigned with uh, Tampa because I felt that once Graham was off the board, if Brait was still out there, the Saints might have targeted him. So it really, to me, killed both O.J. Howard and Brait's value for best ball, having them on the same team where if Brait had ended up in the Saints, um, I think both of them would have been just phenomenal best ball picks. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, Brait's been highly, highly dangerous out of the slot. He got off to an amazing start this past year. And, you know, I, Mike Clay just did a recent study about how hard it is to support two fantasy-relevant tight ends. Unless your offense is basically performing at a historic pace, it's, it's going to be difficult to do. So O.J. Howard, um, Cameron Brait, Eric Ebron, Jack Doyle are probably guys that I'm looking to avoid that are probably going to be better NFL players than um, best ball selections this year. Yep. Since running backs have historically had the best success rate, Elliot, let's go through a lot of the key guys at the position. Um, we've talked a little bit about Saquon Barkley already uh, being drafted higher than any rookie I can ever remember with an ADP, at least at this stage. Zeke was, you know, well back in the middle to end of uh, round two pre-draft. Um, but because of the success of the running backs, the rookie running backs the last couple of years, and as you've mentioned, the general generational type talent that Barkley has, um, he is going very early right now. And I think we both can agree, as good as he is, he's no bargain at 1-9. Um, but let's move beyond that a little bit, and let's just talk a little bit about the player. What makes him so generational in your mind? Oh man, uh, the better question is what doesn't make him generational. But we're, we're let's let's basically start off with the fact that he is the best athlete at the running back position to come out in a long time. I mean, from speed to quickness to lateral agility to to and not strength. Even though he's a very strong player, doesn't necessarily play with great power. He knows when to use his power, though. That's one of the knocks against him is that he looks to avoid contact. You see that a lot in Gurley and Bell. They know when to pick pick and choose their spots because these running backs, man, they get banged up a lot and guys that know when to kind of make someone miss as opposed to just try to run through them. is something I like about him. It's, it's something other people don't love about him. His balance is fantastic. He's got incredible leg power. Um, he can stop and start on a dime. His vision is, it's okay. It can, it can certainly use some work. One of the things he does is he looks to bounce the ball outside too much. That's a criticism. The counter argument is that when he does that, he averages over nine yards a carry. So that's one of those things where if I'm averaging over nine yards a carry, I'm going to keep doing it and not really care. His elusiveness is off the charts. His catching, and this is one of the things I'm going to point out a lot on this podcast and in general in life, is that catching for a running back is not the only important thing. We continue to debate whether or not a guy can catch. I care whether or not he can run routes. And Barkley is the most developed route runner in a long time to come into the NFL with this skill set. I mean, you can play him out wide. You can play him in the slot. He can run all the receiver routes and absolutely dominate there. You get him in the backfield, he's going to break linebackers down in space all day long. He run wheel routes. You can get incredibly creative with him. And he's basically a, a fantastic weapon for an NFL team and just can do things that not many other people can do. You just basically get a superstar athlete that can do everything. Um, so – to answer your question, what makes him good is basically everything. And then the other thing I left out is that he's a he's a phenomenal pass protector too. So in terms of we hear so often get these rookie running backs on the field early is they need to be able to pass protect and he can do that and then run these routes. So he's not going to be a tendency guy. He's going to be someone that you can really build your whole offense around. Yeah, I, I that that was really good. Um, you got me more excited to take more chances on him. I do have some shares. I'm running around 10% on him right now, and I'm comfortable there. And the the last thing you said about, you know, wheel routes and, you know, a, a smart team, and then I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but the Browns and the Bucks might get him, and I don't know that either of those coaches is a smart guy. Yeah, that's that's a scary thing. Even though if he went to Tampa Bay – you know, the coaching staff isn't fantastic, but he'd have no competition for carries. No competition. And you'd talk about a team that just had so many strengths with Evans and Deshaun Jackson and O.J. Howard and Cameron Brayton, and Chris Godwin and Adam Humphreys and Saquon Barkley and Jameis Winston. And it's like, holy mother of God, a team can't focus on Barkley because otherwise everyone else is open. And if they, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just that offense Absolutely. would have scary, scary potential. 
I was on. Uh, I mentioned my my gig. I got to do a guest spot on uh, Sirius XM Fantasy on Saturday uh, with the Diehards, and um, I I actually came out and predicted that I think that uh, Barkley will end up in Tampa, and that it would be a very good spot for him. But then you mentioned coaching, and I'm like, yeah, you know. And I I think that uh, Dirk Cutter. I don't think he's a very good coach. Um, or maybe I should say it a different way. I don't think he's the most creative coach. Um, you know, he really seems to have kind of that older NFL mindset. Uh, but, you know, you put Barkley in a role like that, and and that could be magic. Yeah, absolutely. That's basically, if he goes to Tampa Bay, he becomes worth worth that ADP. Ten, or uh, Indy. Yeah, Indy's another one. And, you know, if you... If he falls any further than that, then we're we're talking about he's, he could end up on a phenomenal team. But yeah, I, I think Indy and Tampa Bay are probably his two most likely landing spots. Yep, most analysts have Darius Geis as the second back in the draft. You've already discussed him a little bit as well. Something I noticed when watching his tape is uh, a lot of his big runs seem to come after he broke tackles. Um, rather than, you know, through other skills. And I just wonder that if that'll translate. You know, I, I just don't know that you break as many tackles in the NFL as you do in college. That was really my only ding that I saw in him. Uh, I, I want some thoughts on what you see his pros and cons are as the second best back in this draft. So I think if you're going to make him the second best draft uh, back in the class, and uh, I did, you're really looking at his 2016 film because his 2017 film isn't quite as good because he's got the the injuries. Now, what makes him fantastic is you talked about his ability to break tackles, his ability to run with power, his leg drive, his contact balance. He's got really good vision. Uh, he, He also is elusive. He can make you miss. He has a strong jump cut. He's going to uh, – I think he can catch the football. He's, he ran a very limited route tree, so that that's kind of questioning some of his ceiling. Though he, he showed those traits in high school, and then when they get did give him opportunities, he caught the ball away from his body and looked comfortable turning up field and making people miss. And at the combine, he looked really good catching the football as well. Um, I think he's going to need to develop in that area some. When he comes to pass protection, he's so inconsistent. He can do it. He's got a bunch of lazy reps, a bunch of reps where he doesn't look very good doing it. Now, you you want to know one of my big concerns for him is that you talked about his desire to run through people's faces. And then we talked about that he was banged up in 2017. That violent running style often leads to injuries. And we know that, you know, the old joke is the best ability is availability. Now, that's not uh, that's not accurate <laughs> in terms of what the best ability is. Well, you do want guys that can stay healthy, that can handle these big workloads. And, you know, typically, other than like Marshawn Lynch, guys have really struggled to do that and make that transition in the NFL um, in terms of long, sustained success. He may be fantastic early on. He may it may cut some of his career short. Um, he may get banged up some. I, like you said, how he handles that contact, both from how can he consistently break those tackles to can he hold up throughout a 16-game season are, are two of his knocks, along with the pass protection and how developed as of a receiver can he be. Yeah, and one of his landing spots I think wouldn't be ideal because there is a great third down back there. And I talked to someone else about this, and they didn't really see it them doing it. But I think, I think the Redskins, I, I really feel like, that Gruden is just not happy with the backs that he has, and they've tried to go cheap on running back a, a couple different times, you know, with that third-round running back or or even later in the case of Rob Kelly. Um, thir- I think they have the 13th pick in the first round, which is right in the wheelhouse of where uh, Geis might go. Uh, what do you think about him landing in Washington? And um, do you have any other landing spots in that mid-first-round uh, range that you think would be better spot for him? Guys, is really interesting because there's a couple teams you've heard connected with him. The Redskins have been a big one. The Lions have been another one. I've even heard the Steelers. Now, I agree with you in terms of the, the thing is for his fantasy value, especially year one, you're talking about theoretic you're talking about Chris Thompson, and then you're talking about backing up Le'Veon Bell. So those teams could really hurt his, his ADP in terms of what you're getting from Geis in year one. 
with, with that upside because you'd have to imagine the pass blocking issues and the fact that he's not a developed receiver. He can develop into a receiver. We'll, we'll see where he goes. Is that he's probably not going to do a ton of that with Chris Thompson or Theo Riddick. Um, so those teams would not excite me for his possible success in year one. Yeah, and right now he's got a fourth-round ADP in most drafts. I've tried – I mean, I have a couple fourth-round shares, and I picked them up once in the fifth and once in the sixth as the value. Uh, but because he doesn't have that uh, catching upside, um, you know, I feel like that's right around the borderline of his value. Yeah, I think it might even be a little high depending on where he goes. Now, there's also the opportunity, you know, he – could he go to the Packers and just become a phenomenal back there and they kind of throw away some of that other stuff? Could he go to the Seahawks? I'd be shocked if they take a running back. I, honestly, Chris Carson, I think, is going to be a phenomenal value because they don't really have the draft capital to take a running back. I think this is their only pick in the top 120, so they're going to be looking to trade back. Could he go to the Buffalo Bills and be the long-term replacement for um, LaShawn McCoy? You know, Could he go to the Patriots and just be a phenomenal player. Like when when you start looking at some of those teams, cause I don't think he's going to go top 10, it could hurt. Now, if he falls all the way to round two and goes in the top of round two, he could become a phenomenal player. But I think there's a lot of risk with his landing spot in terms of how much uh, third down workload he gets. Yeah. I know you don't agree necessarily um, in watching tape. I like Nick Chubb as much, if not more than guys. Um, I'm certainly not the tape guy that you are, but I was really impressed with his explosion and ability to, you know, at his size to get people to miss as he's heading into the hole. And one of the things, you know, I'd love your opinion on this because, again, I'm still new at this. I, I, I see how people fall in love with people's speed once they're in the open field but in the NFL, it's not that often you get into the open field. What I'd like to see in a running back is how well he maneuvers to get to a hole and how quickly he can hit a hole. And I was really surprised for how big a guy that Nick Chubb is, how well he, he, he accomplished that. So when I watch Nick Chubb, I think that he's probably the best in-between-the-tackles runner in the entire class. Um, I think that if this was 15 years ago, you're talking about a first-round pick, no doubt about it. I think you're talking about the guy you, you just ex- uh, talked about. He's incredibly powerful. He's got a fantastic uh, lower body strength. He's got great contact balance, very patient runner, really good vision, um, can run between the tackles, get outside. You, you mentioned the long speed. I think Chubb does have the long speed. That's a great point that these guys aren't typically breaking all these gigantic runs, and you don't necessarily see it as much, but you know he's got the acceleration. I think that the questions with Nick Chubb are, one, can he catch the football? Two, can he run routes? Now, he had that devastating knee injury, and he's come back for the most part. But I talked to a couple of people that have followed the team, and they said the one thing that he isn't quite as good at is where he was before with the lateral agility. Now, you, you saw him catch a lot of passes his freshman year, and that kind of went away as the season went on. He's going to have to develop a route tree. He's going to have to develop pass blocking technique. He's going to have to get more comfortable catching the football. And then is his lateral agility going to allow him to become a weapon, or is it going to be more of a dump-off situation? And, you know, I think he's going to fall a little bit in the draft. I think he's going to go late two, early three. Now that means that he's a fantastic running back in today's today's uh, world where running backs are devalued. And so if he goes round two or three, that you're talking about a really good player. But I think his upside is limited because of the pass-catching ability. I'm I'm drafting a lot of him in the sixth round. Uh, Once in a while, I'll take him in the fifth because, again, it's so hard in best ball right now to find running backs. And I think he has the potential to do better than, you know, kind of like what Fournette did, right? Fournette paid off a a late second round value last year. Um, And so I think that Chubb has that upside um, and the downside in the sixth round isn't that bad. And I'm going to throw out a name of a team that, that wouldn't shock me if he ends up and it would be a really good spot for him, and that's the Oakland Raiders. Um, what do you think about that? And they have a lot of big, powerful offensive linemen that he could he run behind, and 
probably succeed there. It might be a little bit of a crowded backfield with them signing Doug Martin. You know, he's probably going to play two games, and then we're not going to see him. Even though this might be Doug Martin year, right? Isn't it once every three years where he becomes like an all-pro <laughs> guy, and then he goes away forever? Uh, they got he's Jalen Rashard. the weirdest they got, guy. I always get him wrong. I mean, well, I think everybody gets him wrong because the second you like him, he's no longer good. Uh-huh. Uh, Dwayne Washington, I, I think it could be very interesting. They have some an old-school coach. That, that makes a lot of sense. The place I would like to see him go is uh, Carolina. I think he Ooh, could have that like Johnson Stewart role. He'd uh, mat- match up perfectly with uh, Christian McCaffrey. You would uh, allow – we saw Jonathan Stewart have value this year, and he's better than Jonathan Stewart. I, that's actually my comp for Nick Chubb is a young Jonathan Stewart who's a, who's a really good player. He would run a lot of power, you know, behind pulling offensive linemen. I think he could do a lot of good things. But I, I agree with you that, listen, running back basically after around two or three starts to get real ugly real, real fast. And Chubb certainly – he has the athletic profile. He's got the potential draft capital to go into a role with, with high volume and – you know, he may start off as a two-down guy, and you know what? Maybe there's an injury and he gets a, a huge role. But I think he will have a workload no matter where he goes in year one. And maybe you get a Jordan Howard-like kind of year. You know what I mean? And, and that would be fantastic for six-round value. Yeah, well, you got the Panthers at 24, so that certainly could be a landing spot. Um, I don't see the Falcons or the or the Saints at 26, 27. You mentioned the Steelers with Bell, uh, then Jacksonville, the Vikings, no, no, no. And then you get to the New England Patriots at 31. And, boy, I mean, that, w- that would be a really nice spot for him. Yeah, I mean, he probably wouldn't catch passes at all there, like we talked about, but he would get that LeGarrette Blunt role, and, you know, his touchdown upside would be phenomenal. I ultimately don't think Chubb goes in round one. I think he goes in round two. But I have him as kind of my, – I personally have a, an early three on him because I've talked about how much I value pass-catching guys. Now, if he if the NFL views it similarly and he goes late round two, then it doesn't really matter whether he goes late round one or late round two because we're talking about the same kind of teams he would go to. All right. Um, with so many great prospects at the position and we ate up a lot of time going over the top three guys, let's go through and get some quick thoughts on each of these players. Um, if you watched the uh, college championship, you saw Chubb's teammate, uh, Michelle, Sony Michelle, have just an amazing game. And um, he's not going much further below Nick in drafts. And probably for the reason you keep harping on, he's the guy who has the passing game chops. Uh, what are your thoughts on Michelle and uh, a late sixth, early seventh round ADP? I love Michelle. I think you could see him have a Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara-like impact in year one. Now, I'm not saying that he those are his comps, but just in terms of who he is as a player, you're talking about a guy with phenomenal vision, good contact balance on the second level. He's not terrific at the first level. He can get tripped up a little more easily, but once he once he gets his uh, his speed up, he, he's very hard to bring down. He can run with power. He can make you miss. He's a, he's a really good receiver. Now, he didn't do it as much this year, but in previous years we've seen it. He's got fantastic vision kind of at the line of scrimmage, open field vision. He's one of these guys that can make a lot of big plays happen in the open field. Um, I, I just he's, – he's also – probably the best pass blocker in the in the entire class. So you're talking about a guy that teams are going to draft to get on the field on third down to protect their quarterback and make plays. And those are the kind of guys, you know, we just talked about all his open field ability on top of the fact that he's going to be in pass catching situations and he can catch passes and run routes. I mean, that's the kind of guy I'm looking to target. Um, kind of just the opposite of that is Rashad Penny, who a lot of analysts really like. Uh, I know you like him. I, I wasn't blown away by his tape, but I got to watch more. I only watched one or two games, and it was really hard to tell because he he doesn't he didn't play at as high of a level in college as some of the other guys, and it seemed like all they would do is throw him pitches, um, but, which I don't think you're going to get to see a guy run too often at that size in the pros. Uh, give us your thoughts on Penny and him being drafted in the ninth round, whether you're a buyer. Um, I'm lower on Penny than most people. I've moved him up some because of his combine, and he answered some of my questions. I think he's a good athlete. I think he's got phenomenal vision. I think he's got good contact balance. I think he's got some power. He's got some patience, though sometimes he can um, 
extend plays a little bit too long and, and get himself into some trouble. I think he's the worst pass blocker in the class by far. I think he's he's dreadful at it. Like you I mentioned, I don't think right? he's so bad at it. And it's yeah, hurt. I mean, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, I'm watching this guy's tape and everyone's falling in love with him. And, you know, you were going to go, you know, Chubb, him and Chubb are both the first and second down type backs, I think, at least as a rookie. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I don't. I don't happen. see the the three down Rashad Penny guy that other people see. I I watch some of his routes. He has false steps. You know, he he's not a great route runner. Uh, I know he caught that swing pass or wheel route. I forget which route it was and what it ended up at at the Senior Bowl for sixty yards, and everyone lost their mind. But at practice the whole week, all coaches could do was yell at him for how bad he was doing running routes and how bad he was in the pass blocking um, drills. Now. If you're talking about a rookie, he's not going to get third down reps if he can't block. And they're not going to work on him, uh, work on it with him incredibly hard if he's not also showing much receiving ability. He may get pigeonholed into that first and second down back. And then you're, you're, in, you're really relying on landing spot, kind of similar to Chubb. And I think Chubb's probably going to go higher than Penny in the draft. And therefore, the draft capital will lock him into more volume early on than Penny. Yeah, the the next guy is is one of those guys who literally jumps off the tape um, for his explosion is Ronald Jones. He's also going in the ninth round, but when I when I watch him, I don't see a polished back. Um, he doesn't do the little. You know, when I remember I was talking about how well you navigate through the line of scrimmage in the NFL. If you don't navigate through the line of scrimmage real well, you're not going to get those big runs. Um, Am I seeing what you're seeing on Jones, or do you see a different guy than me? I mean, I, I think he could be good, but I think he's a pretty risky uh, pick um, for year one because I could see a coach just looking at him and saying, you're not ready, you need to learn your craft a little bit more. Yeah, so Jones is interesting. I know uh, Graham Barfield did a lot of work on him, and he called him an enigma. Basically, you know, if you watch him play – He's got really good vision. If he goes through a zone scheme, it would really help him. He's very good on these stretch plays, and when he sees a hole and the offensive line is blocked well, and he, he can then get in the open field, and he's got that explosive uh, speed. He's got great bursts. He's got elusiveness to his game. But like you said, around the line of scrimmage, he can get tackled pretty easily, go down. And unlike most explosive backs, he is not a receiver now. He's never caught more than 14 passes on any level, high school or college. He struggles to catch the football. He has no route running ability. He's not a great pass protector. These, again, are going to be things that hold him back and hurt his ceiling. And so often when we talk about these explosive open field players, you really take advantage of that with their receiving ability, and he doesn't have that. Now, he's not a 4-6-6 guy like some people talk about. That was an, he pulled his hamstring. We don't get, didn't get a chance to see him work out. But I think there's a lot, there's more risk than people are acknowledging when it comes to Ronald Jones. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of what I'm seeing as well. Kind of the opposite guy to me of Ronald Jones, a guy who just has this one thing that just jumps off the film as being electric, um, but you know, not kind of really good um, and polished. This next guy, I think, is super polished, but I just don't know that he does any one thing well enough to be a great NFL running back, and that's Royce Freeman. He's going in the 13th round, so the value is there. Uh, What's your thoughts on Freeman? So originally I was very low on Freeman. I've moved him up some. I have a fourth-round grade on him. He he tested as a much better athlete than you would think his tape suggested. Now, his best years were his freshman years. But if we're looking at... Freeman the on tape. We're seeing a guy with phenomenal vision. It might be the best vision in the phenomenal. class. Really good phenomenal. understanding. Re- Sorry to interrupt you, but it just it, he really does that. That is his one you know outstanding thing that I saw. Yeah, absolutely. Like his his he's a very intelligent football player, both at the line of scrimmage, the second level, the third level. He's constantly setting people up. These stretch plays that really allow him to take advantage of his patience and vision are fantastic now he's a bigger guy and he can run he can move the pile a little bit but he he gets taken down a lot on on first contact he's not necessarily running through people he's not as powerful as you'd like he's not this lateral side to side make you miss kind of guy 
he's an okay pass blocker. He can catch the football. We've seen him do some things, but I think I don't think he's going to be able to make linebackers miss in space. I think he's really a landing spot dependent guy where if he gets behind a great offensive line in a zone scheme, he could do a lot of things. He could be one of these later round NFL guys that have a big impact. Um, I, I tweeted about him that I think Freeman is one of these guys that if he goes to a good offensive line, he's going to really show off how good that offensive line is because of how good his vision is. And people it's so, responded it's like, so funny. I'm sorry, but it's so no, funny no. you say that because I'm sitting here waiting to, 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 to tell you that my thought process is I'll have more interest in him if he ends up in a, behind a good offensive line because that, that's what would help showcase his abilities. Yeah, because and some people talk about well, all running backs need good offensive lines, and absolutely. But my point is that a lot of the guys we're talking about beforehand can create for themselves. He's not really one of these guys. He's one of these guys that is going to take advantage and get every yard that's blocked. And then in the open field, you know, he can do some things. He's he's not anything special at all. But you know, behind a good offensive line, he could be fantastic. Now he may end up being one of these. I, I would love to see him go, and this is not great for best ball, but if he's Zeke's backup, I think he would be phenomenal in Dallas, and he could really take advantage of how good their offensive line is. And if Zeke goes down, he could step in and handle 20 carries a game and really handle that load. I would like to see him in a backup role. Now, obviously, that's not ideal for fantasy, but I just mean for him. If he goes late in the draft and goes to a team with a good offensive line, he could be a very successful NFL player. Yeah. All right. So since I'm, I'm I'm throwing out you know where I think certain guys go, I'm gonna say an ideal landing spot for Freeman might be the Eagles. Blount, Blunt's gone. Um, they've got Ajayi. They've got Clement. I could see them adding another back. I mean, a guy like Bo Scarborough could be the type. You know, if you just want to say, well, they're gonna look to want to replace what they had. But I think Freeman would be, you know, interesting. That there's a good offensive line. He wouldn't get a again for best ball a great role. But I'm going to throw out the Eagles. I really like that they run a ton of zone and stretch, and he could they could really take advantage of what he does. Awesome. Uh, I haven't watched Carry On Johnson, and I don't even know if I pronounced it right. What are your thoughts on the player? Carry uh, on Johnson, you did pronounce it right. I compared him to Draymond Green for basketball fans out there, basically saying that you know he, he might not do anything. In the nuts. He does. He does not kick people in the nuts, but he does. <laughs> I was just he joking. basically does everything well, but nothing fantastic. Now he he's got he's really patient. Now that's where he gets his Le'Veon Bell comps. He's not Le'Veon Bell, but he's a very patient runner. They put him in the Wildcat. They take advantage of that. He's got real strength. It's tough with his film because he had hamstring injuries and ankle injuries this year, but still played through him and played played real well. He can catch the ball. He can block. Not fantastic at either one. He can run a, a slight route tree. He's not super developed in that area. He's He's got a pretty good jump cut that he can explode out of. Basically, you're getting a guy that's real that's good at a whole bunch of things but not a great player. He's probably going to be a successful NFL back, probably about a – you know, six to eight year NFL career where he's got a couple thousand yard seasons, does some things, but uh, is never that that fantastic guy. But, you know, we're talking about a guy with a 16th round ADP. If he falls in the right spot, he could be very successful. Nice. Uh, we're running real low on time now, but I, I can't help it. You know, um, we're not that big of a podcast that we got to keep it under an hour, but uh, at, at an hour, kind of, we're going to lose the live feed. So we got seven minutes. I want to cover two more guys before we finish and then ask a basic question. One of my favorite guys on tape so far, and I, I wish he had that extra gear that I'm not seeing, but I really like John Kelly, and I'd like your thoughts on him. John Kelly is my fourth overall running back. I have a second-round grade on him. You're right, he certainly lacks elite speed. We saw the 4.640 at his pro day. That makes a lot of sense to me based on what you saw. He's got good burst. He does not have um, long speed at all. He's uh, not necessarily elusive to the point where he's going to flat out make you miss, but between his stiff arm, his contact balance, and his strength, he's going to make you miss and be able to run through your arm tackle. He uh, he forces missed tackles at a, an alarming rate. That's one of the things that we've really seen historically uh, be a be something that predicts success in running back. Translates, um, right. 
Exactly, and the way the way he makes you miss is not necessarily by running through you, but his stiff arm is fantastic. He's he basically he makes your target point off. He he when he when you try to tackle him, you're off target and you're not going to get a clean shot. And because his contact balance is so good, he runs through that. Now he's also a phenomenal receiver. And again, I'm going to harp on this until people basically give, stop giving me a platform to harp on it. Receiving ability is everything with running backs. And he is a great route runner. He's a developed route runner. He caught 37 of 45 targets. He was very much used. He was used in the slot. He was used breaking down linebackers. You saw him get vertical. He can do a lot of things receiving. Now, he's not a great athlete, but we're talking about a guy that can run for power, make people miss. He's got fantastic balance and is a great receiver with soft hands with developed uh, uh, developed route tree. And he's a pretty good pass blocker, too. I mean, he, he's a tough dude, man. And, you know, his his production was off the charts to start the year. Now the whole Tennessee football team quit, and it really hurt him. But, you know, you throw in some of those later games, and he's still doing a lot when there's nothing there. Um, I, I, I'm a huge John Kelly guy, and I, if he's going in the last round of best balls, I would have 100% of John Kelly. Yeah, I uh, I'm gonna I gotta start grabbing some more. I I mean I just he's one of those guys when you watch the tape and you just love him. I mean it, not just from a I don't mean that from the perspective of I love him I need him on my best ball team, but you just I mean he's a football player. You know you just watch him and you just say I mean there's a football player who really kind of embodies what it means to be a football player. Oh, 100 percent. All right, he's he's fun, man. He's fun. Um, all right, so last thing, um, I just want to make sure I didn't miss any running backs that you're really high on that that people should have on their radar for best ball. Uh, for best ball purposes, I think we knocked out everyone. Um, I think Neheim Hines and Mark Walton are the other two guys you might want to pay attention to as some pass catching backs, but we don't need to go in depth on them. Okay, good. If I'd love, you know, I want to have you back on and do this again after the NFL draft, when we can kind of take this conversation to the next level. Um, but the last guy we really got to cover is Calvin Ridley. He definitely has some flaws in his game, but he has certain skills to me that are first-year skills. Um, take us through uh, through him. Yeah, so uh, we're talking about Ridley as a guy. He's an older prospect, and whenever you draft an older prospect, the thing you want to see, make sure, is that he's developed and can contribute on day one. Now, Ridley absolutely can do that. What what you get with Calvin Ridley is a fantastic route runner. He's going to win at the line of scrimmage. He's going to win downfield. He's going to create separation. He's going to create big plays down the field. He can track the football. He's got decent hands. He can make plays in space. Like He can really cut on a dime and make people miss. The thing you're not getting with Calvin Ridley, he's not going to be a contested catch guy. He's undersized. I think he's 189 pounds. He can struggle with contact. If you touch, basically, if you touch him in the open field, he's going to go down. So he's the kind of guy that you know should step in uh, year one and have an impact, be able to make some plays downfield, uh, create big plays. Most likely, step in as a wide receiver two. And he's probably going to have the most success of any rookie wide receiver. I really like him as a prospect, but I still think that there, there's certainly, there are definitely limitations to his game. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, it's funny. As I watch these guys, I think, you know, because people want to say, well, he's got to be, a, a, you know, a, an outside receiver, right? You know, because you know, that's kind of whatever. I don't know. I, I don't have the words for it. But whenever I see him, I think Patriot slot guy, you know, I mean, because of that short area quickness, the ability to get open, um, I mean, I just love him as the next Wes Welker or the next uh, Julian Edelman. Uh, We'll finish up by getting your thoughts on that. Um, I think he can do a lot more vertically than those guys can, but I think that the short area quickness and ability to win the line of scrimmage and what he can do on a slant and kind of get open for easy completions, I, I think that's fair. I think he sh- I think a team should absolutely be willing to use him in the slot, though. Yeah, I, I, I could, you know, I'm not discounting him as an outside receiver. I, I probably shouldn't have said it that way, but I, I do think that in the right system. He could be, you know, the Jarvis Landry, Wes Welker 
Julian Edelman, you know, catch 80, 90 passes. Well, the guy who's always open, and he's got good speed once he catches the ball. That's fair. I mean, you can really make plays with the ball in his hands. All right. Well, that's going to do it. We ran a little long, but uh, I know it was good stuff. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, enjoyed it as well. Elliot, tell everyone where they can find you and that great podcast you're doing. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Elliot Christ, E-L-I-O-T-C-R-I-S-T. You can find uh, the Draft Daily Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. I oh, already said iTunes, Podbean. And uh, we also have a Twitter account called the Draft. Uh, you can find it on Twitter at Draft Daily Pod. Awesome. Elliot, thanks so much. Thank you.